in every country Treats You know we can Work together and learn what we need To meet the challenge Welcome to the ISA Science of Arboriculture podcast series. This is Dr. Tom Smiley at the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratory, host of this podcast series, which is brought to you by the International Society of Arboriculture and the Bartlett Tree Expert Company. Today's podcast is by Dr. John Banks. He is a researcher and manager of the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratory in the UK at Reading University. He will be speaking on tree vitality, how to measure it, and how it can be applied to pest resistance and tree establishment. Cool. Hi, everyone. Welcome to um, this talk on tree vitality. Um, thanks for joining us virtually um, for the ISA conference it's it's not how we'd want to be doing it but um, it gives us gives us some great opportunities I can welcome you to to our lab based in Reading in the UK um, so I'm Dr John Banks uh, based from from Bartlett uh, tree research labs in the UK um, and if you if you're not familiar with Bartlett's we have offices all over the US and Canada but also some offices in the UK and Ireland as well um, so it's a great company to work for. We've got some uh, really excellent clients over in the UK, some amazing landscapes that we we care for. Um, and it's a real privilege to, to look after some of their trees um, for them. So the aims of today's talk, um, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, tree health and vitality, um, run through uh, starting to kind of define that and, and a better understanding of that a little bit. Um, then we're going to talk about some methods of evaluating tree health and vitality um, once we know what it is. And uh, then I'll give you a quick introduction to chlorophyll fluorescence and really talk about this ArborCheck device that we've, we've been using extensively in the UK. And then what's, what's often really useful for people is to talk about frequently asked questions um, and we'll look at some case studies as well. That's, that's often really helpful. Um, so there's a little bit of science in this and if you can keep keep hold of the science um, and if that if that just flies over your head that's absolutely fine. We'll move on and we'll look at some um, some real trees and get outside and and have a look at those after that. So so just keep keep running with me would be great. So let's start off with some definitions what what is tree health and when we're asking these kind of questions often the tendency is to google it so i did um, and we found some uh some interesting symptoms um some very hungry caterpillars some very hairy caterpillars um some of the decay fungi uh, ash dieback is a emerging problem in the uk big problem in the uk really we're seeing more and more of it and i know xylella as well in the US, um, but we're expecting some of that potentially to come into the UK um, in the next few years. So we're talking about tree health, but we're also seeing these pests and diseases. And if you take nothing away from this talk, hopefully you'll take away this slide that tree health isn't actually pests and diseases. It's, um, it's related to, um, but tree health can also impact uh, susceptibility to pests and diseases. So it's more of a broad spectrum and the tree pests and diseases really kind of come in separately to overall tree health. So I know, I, I think I spotted someone else is talking about the disease triangle, but really what I've described there is kind of the concept behind the disease triangle um, and about the, the susceptibility of the host really there. If you've got a healthy tree, then it might be less likely to get, get 
get those nasty pathogens that we're worried about. Excuse me. So after that uh, introduction, tree health, um, what what happens when a tree health begins to, to dwindle? And we like talking about this, this stress cascade. Um, and I sometimes describe it as a, a scale it's nice to I've got the scale of Homer up on the slide there. Um, so from him being being really really great, really healthy, um, to him being dead. And what's what's that like in a tree? So really, we're starting off. One of the first things that reacts to a stress is stomata. The stomata will um, will begin to close, um, and that's sometimes uh, caused or in tandem with an abscisic acid accumulation. Water potential changes when the stomata moves, so the, the turgidity, if you like, of the, of the cells in the leaf, and that can influence photosynthesis. Water is used in photosynthesis after all. When uh, the water pressure in the, in the leaves start changing, that's what we call turga, which I've mentioned, the, the cell growth can, turga is responsible for cell growth, and uh, cell growth can, can begin to slow. So we see a reduction in, in growth rates. Chlorophyll formations, the, Plants can start going yellow. That's something we, we see visually, nitrate reduction, um, reductions in, um, in nitrogen content in the leaves. Um, lower down the line, membranes start to become a little bit leaky um, and we start seeing some cell leakage. So I put some of these, um, these aspects of the stress cascade in, in bold because we'll pick up with them later with different methods of measuring tree, step, tree stress. We can look at these, these different impacts as, as ways to, um, to measure tree stress. So some of these methods, some of the maybe more historic methods, um, but certainly, certainly still valid methods um, still being used today, how much is the tree growing? If it's growing less, then it might be under under less, under more stress. If it's growing really well, then it'll be under less stress. I know these are, are potentially really obvious, um, but we'll get to we'll get to things that are less obvious later on, I'm sure. Uh, root growth potential, again, how much are the roots growing? Uh, visual index, still a really valid measurement and something that I know we're all using every day when we're out looking at trees. Um, how, how's the tree growing? Is it, is it green? Is it yellow? Um, what does it look like? Does it look stressed? Um, and then maybe more of an, a lab measurement, the electrolyte leakage, is it, is it getting leaky? It's been used for, for many, many years um, to measure how healthy trees are and to compare how healthy trees are. So these are all pretty simple measurements. Maybe moving into more current me measurements, we can measure foliar temperature, and that will indicate whether the stomata are open or closed. The stomata will uh, allow evaporative cooling of the leaves. So when the stomata are closed, the leaves start getting hotter. You may have come across, so it may even be mentioned in, in some other talks in this conference, the normalized difference vegetation index. And really that's a measure of how, how green the plant is, how much, uh, how much chlorophyll to a certain degree there are as well and we can bring in chlorophyll content as well. Stomatal conductance, we do actually now have machines that can measure the stomatal conductance by measuring the humidity of the underside of the leaves um, and that's a really valid measure. I mentioned water potential a few times. Um, this is a, a water potential machine. Actually it's the uh, one of the best logos for a, for a company I think I've ever seen uh, for a water potential machine and it does exactly what the logo says. It, it tells us how thirsty the tree is, how hard the tree is working to um, remove water from the roots. The ergo I've got in this slide and the next slide 
um, because there's been some huge advances in uh, infrared gas analyzers, and this is really the direct one of the direct ways of measuring photosynthesis. So again, I've mentioned this ergo bottom right photo um, is a really direct measure of photosynthesis and of the gases that are coming out of the leaves infrared gas analyzer. Hyperspectral imaging is really kind of the next level on the uh, chlorophyll content on looking how green the leaf is. Um, and you can see that photo in the top right showing just such a broad range of uh, wavelength measurements, um, really advanced measurements that are moving into kind of future research here. Chlorophyll fluorescence, um, I'll talk about a chlorophyll fluorescence later on. Um, there is a, a, a device that I won't mention uh, later on though called the Photosyn Q, um, which you might to seen around and measures a whole lot of uh, really interesting parameters all together. And there's a really interesting concept behind it. Um, we've really found kind of currently that it's got um, some issues with speed and consistency, but certainly something for the future. Now price kind of drives everything when we're looking at whether we can buy any shiny new equipment. And unfortunately, the, the egg is really expensive, um, potentially just reserved for the research um, world. Hyperspectral imaging is even more expensive. Uh, the fluorescence is coming coming back down to kind of normal levels, and the photosyn Q sorry is um, is much more um, affordable. But like I say, it's potentially got some problems that that we found, but maybe um, maybe much more useful in the future. It's it's always being updated. So I've mentioned chlorophyll fluorescence. Um, and just to start off the discussion on chlorophyll fluorescence, let's look at what photosynthesis actually is, because we're talking about chlorophylls. You've probably guessed we're talking about photosynthesis. This is the basic equation for photosynthesis. And as often seems to happen in schools, uh, unfortunately, it's all, all wrong, really. It's all much more complicated than that, I'm afraid. Um, and what's what's happening in here is is this, and you might you might be more familiar with um, with these if you've uh, done some further study. Um, but what what we're talking about with chlorophyll fluorescence is this pink membrane, uh, plasticquinone. It's labelled in the membrane there, and it's inside the thylakoid stack in the chloroplast. So that's exactly where we're at, and we're looking at plasticquinone moving energy through the membrane from photosystem two into photosystem one. Like I say, we'll get out of this uh, deep dive into science quite quickly and look at um, look at some pretty trees. So if it's all getting a bit boggy, don't worry too much. So like I mentioned, we're we're looking at this membrane transfer, this electron transfer um, across a membrane. Um, this is the Z scheme, which some of you may be um, maybe a little bit familiar with, um, and that's this is the section that fluorescence uh, gives us measurements from. If we were doing this live, then I'd I'd love to show you a great little demo. Um, I can hold up some some chlorophyll and put it under a UV light, and you can actually see chlorophyll fluoresce. You can see that section of uh, fluorescence happening, and it changes colour. It's quite exciting, really. Um, a good one to to show your kids potentially. So chlorophyll fluorescence is an overflow mechanism happening in that position on the graphs that I've just shown. Um, and it's a proxy for measuring photosynthesis. So it's not directly measuring photosynthesis like the infrared gas analyzer that I spoke about earlier was, um, but it's it's a proxy for measuring. It can give us an indication of how it's working. It's been used really wi widely 
um, particularly in the research fields it's been used, um, was first, first visually discovered in the 1930s. Um, so it's a very widely accepted um, method of measuring plants. So another graph for you, sorry if you're um, averse to graphs, but this is the measurement. This is a, a measurement of chlorophyll fluorescence taken across a second. And when people say that our oh, plants are boring because they're slow or they don't move, um, this really springs to mind. So this is this is in fractions of seconds, um, seeing the, the overflow uh, of the fluorescence. Actually, if I can go back to this slide, and there's a few analogies used for fluorescence, which I think are quite helpful to, to say here. One is a, an overflowing bucket. Um, so we start with an empty bucket and actually in the leaves, we, we call this dark adaptation. Um, and then we look at how quickly that bucket overflows. And that's kind of what you could see in that slide that was coming up. The other analogy, which is, is also sometimes helpful, is if we were measuring a car, how healthy is the car? Deep, deep down, how healthy is that car? And I, I don't know what happens at garages, but um, they often plug lots of computers and wires in, and they might turn the car off and let everything cool down and then see how quickly it's turning on. And that's literally what's happening here in this graph. We're going from zero, a nice cool state, everything's dark, um, everything's calm, and then we're flashing it with light and it's going up to a maximum state, an FM, so fluorescence maximum. So you already understand two parameters from um, the fluorescence. Um, and there's these other one, other points in between that have been, have been set out. If we take maximum away from minimum, we get the variable FV, fluorescence variable. And this is a parameter that's been around for many, many years, FV over FM, um, which is, is very simple to calculate. As you can, you can see, you just take, take these numbers um, and divide them together. And that gives us a really good indication of how healthy the tree is. Um, but like I say, that was developed a few years ago, much more recently, 2003, 2004, as this performance index parameter. It's a whole lot more complicated. Um, but you can see the basic fundamentals are still actually the same. We're just pulling a little bit more information out from that same graph from zero to maximum. So in that amount of time, there's a whole lot more parameters that have been developed. And I do feel a little bit like this dog sometimes as a scientist with so many different parameters to select from. Um, but I've really focused on these, these two parameters, FVFM and performance index PI. Um, so if you're if you're looking at kind of basic fluorescence, uh, if you're looking to buy a fluorimeter or you've got a fluorimeter, then these are two that I'd really suggest you could use to measure tree vitality. And we'll look at some case studies, like I say. There's some other parameters that we're we're using quite widely. Um, FVFM I've mentioned. CC is chlorophyll content, um, and that's a really useful parameter of how measuring how green the um, the leaf is. This actually comes from a separate chlorophyll content meter. Um, which is very widely available. Um, and then we've got these other four parameters that are, we're calling stress indices, stress, stress indexes. Um, and you can kind of see they're similar other than the area. The area is the measurement over that curve. And a good way to describe these, those first ones are the vitality indicators. So how's your vitality? Have you been eating healthily? Um, are, are you kind of deep down, are you, are you healthy? And then the stress indices, so are you, you can be of good vitality, you can be of bad vitality, you can have been of eating really healthily, 
but you can still be stressed and you can be eating really badly and you can still be stressed. The stress might influence the vitality later down the line. Um, and that's true with these parameters as well. It's often almost a bit like a forecasting parameter. Sometimes uh, you can think of them as so if FO, um, FV, FV, FO, if any of those stress indices are, are low, then the vitality indices might, might start to follow. So a question we're often asked is how do these numbers compare to what I can actually see? And that's a really important um, question, a really useful question to ask because uh, we also need to combine these measurements with what we're seeing as well to give it some sort of grounding. Um, but if we're seeing that fluorescence is completely agreeing with everything that we're seeing, then when we say a tree is good, fluorescence should be giving us a really high reading. Um, if we see the tree dead, then hopefully we haven't got much um, much reading in the in these fluorescence parameters. If the fluorescence is, is working really well, if the measurement is working really well, maybe we'd see a bit more sensitivity in the good region. So we'd see a line a little bit like this. Um, and that's when we're saying it's good. Fluorescence is saying, well, maybe it's 50% less than you're actually seeing. You're seeing a perfectly healthy tree and maybe it's a little bit less than. Um, and again, further on the line. Maybe it's not so good. Um, then we'd see a tree that we think is maybe maybe a 50 50 um, and the the fluorescence is actually reading it absolutely fine so we're going to show some I'm going to show some graphs coming up and uh, we'll see how how they agree to um, to this idea so here's some data there's performance index on the left and FVFM on the right and you can pretty quickly see these these lines kind of emerging in that data. Um, performance indexes, I'd say, on that on that side of being more sensitive than we can see with our with our eyes. And remember, this is quantifiable, so it doesn't matter if I say it or if you say it um, or if anyone else down the road says this tree is healthy. Actually, we can get a completely independent uh, view of it. And is it is it healthy or not um, without any any emotive issues coming in there? FVFM, I mean, it doesn't look too good for the first, um, for the highest visual indexes, but it drops down much lower down. So maybe FVFM is a bit more useful for has the tree kind of dropped off that cliff? Is it is it really hitting the unhealthy point, um, or is it uh, is it is it dead um, potentially, or is it is it is it time to give up, or is it is it worth trying to save? Um, I'd say that that data is really really shown there. It does drop below that kind of crossover line that we showed before. So what's a healthy value? I mean, you can combine it with visual index, but we've seen that potentially these parameters are better than our own visual visual assessment of trees already. Um, well, we can look to the literature and back in the uh, late 80s, um, people were talking about FVFM values. So around about 0 0.8, 0 0.83, um, are looking pretty good values. And again, later on, people are agreeing with this. So that's a really useful parameter if you've got no idea of where it should sit. If it's at 0.83, you, you're pretty good. Your trees, your trees are healthy, irrespective of who says who says what, essentially. Um, but it does, like I say, it does need to be combined with a visual assessment. But that's only one parameter. And it's also, you've seen in the earlier slide, even with FVFM, there's variation between species. So let's kind of delve into that a little bit more um, and taking some different leaf colors as an idea for the variation. We're seeing huge differences, even with that stable FVFM value. 
in the variegated plant really far down there. Um, and even more so for PI, for this more sensitive reading. Now that red or variegated green, in this case, they're not unhealthy trees, they're lower values, but that's just naturally lower. So it's, it's a difficulty if we said that a healthy performance index was uh, seven, then we'd be, uh, we'd be doing a disservice, if you like, to the, to the variegated plants there. So more data equals more knowledge in this in this area. So we've uh, we've teamed up, or Barchams have really teamed up with us. They um, they heard us talking about fluorescence and asked us to come across and have a look at their nursery and take some readings. Um, and we've got got the facility there. Or Barchams has the facility there to measure a huge amount of, of uh, different leaf types of different tree types. We're measuring nearly 500 um, leaves currently that we've got um, collected. Barchams are the largest container grown tree nursery in Europe. Um, so a really large facility and a really great um, facility for testing these kind of things. So me and my colleagues um, from Bartlett's and some colleagues from Hansatech who make the instruments were really interested in, in getting involved. They were great to work with. Um, and we went out and we measured um, all, the, all the nursery uh, we're getting on for seven or eight years now. And we definitely found this um, one size really doesn't fit at all. Um, but we did find that um, most species have a point that we can say, yeah, that's that's a pretty good um, good value for the species. So is it green? Is it amber? Is it red? We can start setting limits on those species, um, and it's kind of important to be species specific here. So there's a bit of an elephant in the room um, talking about a UK-based nursery um, and to potentially a, a largely US-based audience. Um, we like to say the, the UK does does have quite some climate variation. Um, Scotland does get cold in the winters, um, but it's certainly nothing in comparison to the States and um, we're, we're well aware of that. Um, so don't find me problems, find me solutions. Um, well, some possible solutions you can use. You can use those benchmarks from the papers. Um, you're predominantly going to be using FVFM there. You could potentially find a healthy tree um, and we'll talk a little bit about later in the case studies. Um, and the, the other thing we can do is, uh, in the UK, we set up this benchmark uh, really through Barchams. They, they approached us to measure how healthy their trees were. Um, so if you speak to your nurseries, if there are any nurseries listening, we'd be, we'd be really happy to collaborate with you and, and speak about looking at vitality of your, of your tree stock as well. Um, and that can lead to a, uh, a benchmark that can be available to, um, to others as, as we've got in the UK. So hopefully I haven't made too many of you fall asleep before I've shown pictures of trees. Um, we'll get onto, onto some case studies. Um, here's some birch trees planted in a, in a client's property. Um, it was actually a, a tree surgeon who, who called us in to have a look at this, at this tree that wasn't looking too good. Um, and typically I'd ask, ask an audience to kind of shout out how healthy do you think this tree is? Um, and typically maybe between three and four out of five we might get. Um, it's not looking too good. And then 
the tree next door to it is looking, I'd, I'd say, a whole lot better. Typically, we hear fives. Um, sometimes there's a few fours, um, but it's it's a pretty good tree. It's a healthy, healthy looking tree. It looks much greener than the tree next door, um, which certainly looks promising. So like I say, I was called in to have a look at this tree, um, and I had this arbor check device that was able to measure, is it green, is it amber, is it red? And this is the, the output from the device. Um, and we've no real understanding of, uh, of what fluorescence is. You could still interpret this. Now, of course, you're all experts, um, so you can you can totally understand understand this tree isn't isn't looking too good, and the fluorescence agrees with us there. So that's that's really good. The independent assessment has completely agreed with what us as arborists are are saying. We can delve into those parameters, the vitality parameters, the stress parameters, if if we want to as well. What about the tree next door? Um, it looks pretty healthy, so we'd expect it to be um, it to be in the in the green region. And I was certainly expecting it to be in the green region, but I thought, well, rather than recommending treatments just for this one tree, let's just double check check that this tree next door is is actually healthy. Oh, and it's it's displaying results that indicate that it's it's really not. It's under um, under some sort of stress. Um, but like we were seeing in the in the versus fluorescence versus visual index, we're not seeing that stress um, come out in the in the results. So again, we can delve into the parameters, but overall we're seeing uh, the vitality um, not so good, and the stress is still not so good. So what we were able to say from doing this kind of assessment, there's really not very much difference between those trees, despite visually seeing a big difference. Um, so the key here is to treat both of those trees. Um, it, actually looking around at the trees, uh, most of them were deep planted. Um, they're obviously suffering with uh, water stress. Birch will typically drop lots of the leaves after, almost immediately after a water stress event. Um, so it would be important to, to address their, their deep planting, uh, maybe put them on an irrigation system. We took a soil sample and had a look for, um, for any nutrient issues as well that might affect them. So in that scenario, it was a really valuable uh, lesson for us from the um, from the research side, from the from the kind of consultancy side, um, but it's really valuable to the client rather than getting us in once to look at the unhealthy trees and then getting us in again to look at the trees that were previously healthy. But we know from this study that they'll they'll likely um, start to dive and not look as well as again. So really valuable that we could come in only once, do that assessment, and then say these are the trees we need to treat. So frequently asked questions often come up. There's a huge variety of things that we look at as arborists. Um, crown partitioning um, is, is one question that often comes up. Where do I need to take my samples from? Or I've got a tree that's got half of its crown not looking too good and half of it looking good. And this is where it's, it's really important to clarify that um, we're, we're arborists out doing, doing our job. We need to open our eyes um, and we need to measure these trees with our eyes open and with our with our visual assessment on. The, this can be the best tool in the world. I'm I'm not going to stand here and say that it's the best tool in the world, but it needs to be combined with your with your visual assessment, um, and it can help with that. Is is all I'm I'm saying, and hopefully teach us some lessons about how the trees are growing around us as well. So there's two examples here. The the example on the left was a, a, a tree with a car park that was put to one side of it um, and it was grassed to the other side. 
and we're able to quantify the percentage difference um, in those parameters that are shown there. So we're getting nearly 35% difference in PI as a result of that car park, a reduction in the, in the values. So we were able to put together a good case for remediating some of that compaction that had gone on underneath the car park. The photo on the right is from a, an oak tree. Um, that had really, it's an ancient oak tree, um, a, a real um, privilege to be able to work on these, these really old trees. Um, we were able to take, take a few leaves off just to make it easier to take the readings, but basically no damage to the tree at all, no drills into the tree. Um, and we were able to say, we split it up into units because it's, it's pretty much split itself up um, actually. So we split it up into what we're calling functional unit one, two, and three. Um, and we were very, very clear, able to see that um, functional unit one isn't looking as good as, as the other functional units. Um, so we really wanted to prioritize our treatments towards that side of the tree um, more than the other side. Although the other side is still under stress, we're still seeing those kind of amber um, levels coming up there. So we have a question that we're often asked is how do we measure needles? Um, and it's it's fairly simple. You can you can see from the photos um, to make a mat of needles as close together as you possibly can, and you put them in these little um, dark adaptation clips. They're they're essentially like uh, clothes pegs that allow the device to fit to it. And these are the clips that we'd have to, to take the readings with anyway to allow that that photosynthetic system to cool down really. One kind of note of caution on making these mats with uh, with sellotape. Uh, some sellotapes apparently fluoresce, um, so it's worth taking a taking a quick kind of precautionary reading of the sellotape before you before you take it um, to see if it if you get a reading from it. Then maybe swap brands um, and try something else. I don't think there's a huge amount that fluoresce, but it's it's quite interesting to know that. So when can I take measurements? Um, it, obviously, for deciduous trees, they're going to lose their leaves. We can't measure their leaves uh, through the winter, through the fall. Um, so we're looking during the summer, um, summer months, once the leaves have hardened up fully. And here's some data from the literature that just shows that those those readings are decreasing, even on an evergreen plant. So even on evergreens, we're sticking to um, to within uh, the season, uh, the growing season, when the leaves are, are fully hardened. We tried to replicate this, or we looked to replicate this in 2018 um, in the UK, and what we saw was this decrease and increase in some parameters. We saw some stress happening, um, which is a bit worrying. Have we got a reading that we can uh, we can say is reliable? Um, and what's happening here? Well. What was happening in 2018 in the UK, um, there was a, a really terrible drought event and there were many of these uh, uh, satellite images taken of the UK showing that the, basically the whole of the UK had gone brown. We'd had a, had a really bad drought um, and a, really, a, a real heat wave. And actually, if you um, look at those values, I think the, uh, the kind of yellow colored ones are from a parameter called FO. And FO reacts really strongly to heat stress. So we saw a reduction in by about 30% um, in that parameter. So that really tells us that uh, rather than measuring a stable reading, we're actually measuring trees that are under stress. Um, so actually, actually quite useful. So there is, um, there's, a, there's a way for the future that we're seeing in the literature um, and we're looking to do, to do further research on. 
um, which can this can this uh, series of parameters can this measurement be used as a diagnostic tool? Um, and certainly the the research case studies and the um, the examples in the literature really say that it can. Um, it looks like a, a really exciting diagnostic tool. It's not quite there yet, and as we're seeing with these differences between um, species, we're also getting differences between stresses, which we can we can pull out. Um, but we need that uh, benchmark. We need that database to compare against to um, to you potentially use this as a diagnostic tool. So really for this one, there's, there's more research required, unfortunately, um, but we're, we're working hard on that. So just to wrap up, um, as I was talking about at the start, if you, if you don't remember anything from this, these uh, tree vitality and the pest and diseases are, are connected. Um, remember that disease triangle, um, a pest and disease load will influence tree vitality, but it also works the other way around. If the tree is stressed, then it can get pest and diseases as well. We've got all this technology available, um, and I hope you, from this talk, you've got a better understanding of potentially some of the different types of technology that is out there to measure this kind of fundamental tree vitality. Um, and chlorophyll fluorescence kind of fits in there hopefully a, a fairly cost-effective uh, reading that, that we we think it's it's kind of available now at, at its cost to be potentially useful and usable by by some arborists now this uh, this final point that uh, chlorophyll fluorescence isn't a detected decay detector and I hope that that's come come across we're measuring tree vitality as a kind of overarching effect on the tree um, but it it does sometimes happen and in in our kind of workings with fluorescence we've we've been around and we've measured trees that have unfortunately then failed um, this was a huge uh, eucalyptus up in Scotland um, that uh, was it's a champion tree one of the largest of its types um, certainly in the British Isles um, we were able to come in and measure the vitality of the tree one day um, and we we had a look at the results and they were they were maybe a little bit questionable um, we were a little bit worried about it and the, the response there was the tree looks fine um, but we've got these questionable readings so maybe we'll come back and we'll do some some further more in-depth assessments have a have a closer look at the tree um, actually the next day the branch fell off so I, I say this, this story because it, it gives us a good framework to work to. Do you, do you jump, jump up and down if you see a bad reading? No, I don't think it's going to say that the, the tree, the branch was going to fall off. It just gave us an indication that maybe we need to go back to that tree. Maybe we need to put a little star next to that tree and, and just reassess it, what's, what's happening here. Um, Potentially, we were picking up some destruction in the um, in the conductive tissue, um, and maybe maybe we were picking something up, but certainly couldn't um, couldn't give you an indication of structural stability from fluorescence. And it's really important to stress that I think. So I'd, obviously, I couldn't couldn't have measured all these trees without a number of uh, fantastic colleagues and um, collaborators, Bartram Trees, Hansatec, um, and my colleagues at, at Bartlett's. Um, who've, who've helped take these readings um, and given us, uh, I think, a really interesting database and a really interesting tool. Um, and I'd really welcome uh, working with anyone who's interested in um, in this technology or really open to, to further discussions on it, um, particularly statisticians, actually. If there are any budding statisticians um, in the audience, then it, it would be very interesting to, to see what we could do with this data further. 
Um, but yeah, thanks to thanks to all of them. Um, thanks for your attention and for um, for listening to my talk. Um, I hope you enjoy the rest of the conference. This concludes the talk by Dr. John Banks from the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratory at Reading University in the UK. This talk was originally presented at the 2020 ISA Virtual Conference. The views and information expressed are those of the presenter. If you would like additional information on tree diagnostics, you can visit the ISA web store, and there are numerous books on this topic. Please join us next month for another presentation in the ISA's Science of Arboriculture podcast series.